Kia ora, koa and O'Brien tuku ingoa, e kaurungi o Waituhi o Tamaki, no mai haere mai. I'm Anne O'Brien, Director of the Auckland Writers' Festival, Waituhi o Tamaki, and you're listening to a session podcast from our 2022 event. We hope you enjoy it. Toi Tu, Toi Ora, supported by the New Zealand Contemporary Art Trust. Breathtaking in scope, ambition and artistry, Auckland Art Gallery Toi o Tamaki's 2020-2021 survey exhibition of Māori contemporary art from 1950s to the present day, Toi Tu, Toi Ora, broke all attendance records and forged new ways of presenting and understanding Māori art. It was also the touch point for a critical conversation about who should lead and author such projects. Curated by artist and curator Nigel Burrell, the exhibition was framed by the Māori creation narrative, unfolding an artistic journey from Te Kore, the empty void, to Te Pō, the great darkness, through Te Ao Marama, the world of light and life. Now celebrated in the book of the same name, it is a gateway to a Māori lens on knowledge, identity, place and cultural history, highlighting some of the best artists working today, and it is an essential conversation about cultural practice in this country. Burrell speaks with Deirdre Brown. I tū ana ahau, i raro i te maroa tāne, i whakapiri nei i a tātau tēnā tātau katoa. Ko ma tātou e te waka, ko ngāpuhi te iwi, ko ngātirehi a te hapu, ko manga iti te marae, ko Deirdre Brown, tāko ingoa. Uh, ngā mahi nui ki a koutou katoa, ngā koe e manga pōra maarau rangatira mā tēnā rā koutou. I can't see anything out there, but that's okay. Um, I know you're there, and it's a pleasure to be here. Ko Nigel Barala hau, nō tauranga moana au. Ko ngai tarangi, ngā te rangi nui me te whakatoa hia oke iwi. Uh, ko peri rākau te hapu, ko paparo te marae, ko wirihi ko te rangatira, nō reira, tēnā rā koutou. Kia ora, Kia ora. Nō mai haere mai ki te ko rero rero ki Nigel Burrell. Um, I'm Deidre Brown and it's my great pleasure today to welcome you here to share in this conversation with leading author and curator Nigel Burrell on his magnificent new edited book. Tutoi Tu Ora. And this is, was published by Penguin earlier this year. We will be discussing the book, and if there is time at the end of the session, Nigel is happy to take questions. If not, you can bring your partai to Nigel at the signing table. Before we start, can we all double check that our phones are turned to silent, please? The organizers have asked that the audience please wear face masks if you are able to do so in the interests of the health of others and yourselves. And should you feel unwell during the session, please feel comfortable to leave. While the organizers encourage you to share Auckland Writers' Festival on social media, please do so with consideration for fellow audience members. Nigel and I would very much like to tautoko the New Zealand Contemporary Arts Trust for support of our session. Now, as many of you will know, Tutoi Tu Ora is a survey of the contemporary Māori art movement, spanning the emergence of Māori modernism in the 1950s to art from the present day and embracing a wide range of practices. 
a major contribution to Māori art scholarship. Toi Tu Toi Ora features over 200 illustrated artworks by 110 artists, some of which you'll be able to see on the screen behind us. There are also essays by Nigel and Moana Jackson, as well as contributions by several other authors. The book is, of course, a companion to the blockbuster exhibition of the same name, curated by Nigel, which was the largest single exhibition in the 133 years of Auckland Art Gallery's history. But wait, there's more. <laughs> Not only a curator and writer, Nigel is also an accomplished artist. Last year, for all of his mahi, he received the Art Foundation of New Zealand's inaugural He Momo, a Moment in Time Award, and earlier this year became a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for his services to Māori art. Nigel left his role as curator Māori art at Auckland Art Gallery shortly after the exhibition opening and is now curator Taonga Māori at Auckland War Memorial Museum. Kia ora, Nigel. Congratulations on the exhibition, the book, the awards, and the new appointment. Thank Wonderful. You. Now, my first question that I wanted to begin with was asking you to describe the kaupapa, or founding principles, that inspired the unique framing of the book structure in Te Ao Māori, the Māori world, one that was also apparent in the accompanying exhibition. Where does this come from, and why was it important for you and the artists to have their mahi and stories presented in this way? Kia ora, Um Great question. And I suppose, in a nutshell, that's, that is the the thesis and the, the thinking behind both the show and the book. And um, for anyone who's involved in the conversation and discourse around contemporary New Zealand art, and specifically contemporary Māori art, uh, you'll understand the fraught landscape that it exists in trying to articulate how it's different to that main narrative or the Western art canon and story. And so for us as authors, artists, and advocates of Māori art, often we're thinking through how to navigate that very dilemma and that fraught landscape. And for me, um, that question got resolved uh, quite easily when I looked at some of our own Māori philosophies, ideas, and ways of knowing, and making that the central point to discuss everything else. So the Māori creation story uh, became this really founding way to think about Māori culture, Māori people, um, this idea of time, this idea of knowledge, and the way in which it intersects all those conversations from a Māori perspective, but also speaks back to the Western way of seeing all of those ideas um, in, in a way that empowers a Māori voice and offers clarity and purpose to um, a Māori standing in this space and on this whenua. So, for me, it became, it was a, a relief when that sort of moment sort of arrives in your thinking, because it becomes quite powerful and quite um, uh, profound rather quickly. And that was the case early on in the thinking when I was really wanting to do a survey of contemporary Māori art, but do it differently and do it in a way where um, the Māori voice was the first conversation and not the second. 
and that can be quite a fraught proposition in an art institution which often values and privileges the other uh, as the first conversation. So strategically, the Māori creation story was a way to centre us to talk about Māori art, um, but also to um, set an agenda for what contemporary Māori art or contemporary art might mean to this country. And um, when I started thinking about the creation story and traversing the, the realms that sit within that, te kore, uh, the great nothingness, the empty uh, void, which morphs over time into te pō, the different shades of darkness and, and light, and the murmurings of life that start to stir and take place in that space, uh, that then ruptures into te ao marama, the world of light and life, um, which we live in today and that we exist in. And to me, um, in a nutshell, that thinking and that philosophy is the oldest philosophy to this country. And when we think about the way in which we uh, cite philosophy, knowledge, and its purpose and meaning to us in this country, um, it was food for thought to think that the Māori creation story was the first. And it was the most founding philosophy that we could actually point to that could only exist in this whenua. So not just for Māori, but for us as New Zealanders, the creation story was a way to think differently about our place here as well. Um, and, you know, I've just told you in a nutshell what was going on in my head when I was thinking about how I might tackle this survey and think about contemporary Māori art. And it's one thing to think it, it's another thing to execute it and to see it resonate. Uh, and, you know, it's a relief to see it resonate, but it's also really powerful to see that people get it. And um, I know Māori get it, and I know Indigenous people get it, but when non-Māori get it, um, and when Pākehā and the mainstream get it, then you know that we've actually, we've, we've opened a door to thinking differently about not just Māori art, but our art histories that reside from this land. So for me, that was, that was um, really rewarding, and... Perhaps it's, it's the beginning of thinking about how we might apply localised thinking that re resonates to this land to other forms of knowledge and to be brave about those, uh, those next strides and steps and what they might represent. I hope that sort of answered it. That's a fantastic answer. Thank you so much. And, and just coming back to that point, you know, that the artists and also the audience were taken on that journey too. Um, were the artists highly re uh, receptive to their work being presented in this way? Yeah, I think as, as a curator and as a, a storyteller, which you know, I find curating is often about, um, and when you're doing it on, on behalf of people or using their work um, or, or in, uh, uh, collaborating with them in a sense, then you, you have to make sure that you're doing justice to, to their ideas because their ideas don't always necessarily fit within the frame that you've just crea uh, created or propositioned, but um, conversely, they also don't necessarily not fit. Mm. But, you know, hence the, the, the reason of trying to do it differently. Sometimes doing it differently means that we have conversations that we don't usually allow to have in art institutions around how we frame our work and what our work might represent. But also, if we think about some of the ideas that are loaded uh, within those artists and their, their work, it's no coincidence that often within institutions, 
the first conversation we're hearing is their relationship to the canon, their relationship to New Zealand art history, their relationship to abstract um, art making, their relationship to modernism, but we're not hearing about the narratives that also underpin their work as uh, central and as the first conversation. So in a way, it's just turning it around and, and privileging some of the ideas that are already uh, loaded in their work, but perhaps are latent in there because the people interpreting them or the people putting them forward are only seeing the layers of art history that they're familiar with. Mm. Um, and when I think about the way in which I sort of navigated those ideas of the creation story with, with some of our, our long-standing contemporary Māori artists such as Peter Robinson, um, Michael Padikofai and Shane Cotton and Lisa Rehana, they did not blink an eyelid when you talked about the way in which we could see their work and understand it. And to me that just reminded me the power of what being Māori represents beyond generations, beyond our urban contemporary experiences and diversity of that experience. There are certain things that are being Māori still resonate as important to people today. And that was again a, a nice reminder that we can actually interpret their works and see them uh, more broadly um, as opposed to through just one narrow frame of art history, mm. conventional art history. Kilda, thank you for that. And, and you touched in your answer on the idea of narratives, and, and I guess this brings me to my next partai. Toi Tu Toi Ora, the book, and Tu Toi Tu Ora, the exhibition, are both magnificent achievements in their own right. But can you tell us more about the process of turning an exhibition into a standalone illustrated book and taking the contemporary artists and authors with you on this journey of essentially taking the work from the gallery and into Te Puka Puka? Mm. Yeah, I think um, it uh, was, wasn't too hard, to be honest, because the thesis and the thinking uh, before the book arrived was already done and had been uh, really well thought through and had been uh, applied um, to a lot of interpretive text already. Uh, we did, I think it was close to 80,000 words of interpretive text for that large exhibition, which was all bilingually um, translated and presented. Um, so much of the thinking uh, was, was in a very solid space by the time um, contemplating uh, continuing on with the book uh, was, was arrived at. Um, early on, uh, there was an aspiration to launch the book and have it open with the show. What a crazy idea that was. Um, I can say that now looking back on it and um, just, I mean, you know, the show was huge to try and achieve and it had so many moving parts to it. Um, doing the interpretive text for and doing justice to the narrative as it sat in the building and as it sat with those works uh, was stage one and was probably the first step. And so when um, picking up the book uh, occurred again in earnest uh, early last year, um, we were in a really good space to, to kick on with, um, I suppose, fleshing out the parts of uh, what the book needed to do as, a, as opposed to the show. And, one of the things, um, I had very few regrets leaving the art gallery, I'm just going to say, but one of the regrets I did have was that we never got to, um, while I was there, present the book and to present the thesis of the show in more detail. 
And so for me, um, revisiting the book um, beginning of last year and uh, pushing play on um, producing it and presenting it um, was a real relief because I felt the missing aspect to that whole offer was a deeper dive into the thesis and what it was trying to achieve. And I think about the book, it's doing two things and it's a bit of a um, contradiction, if you like, and if you want to read it that way. And what I'm talking about is the way in which I argue in my uh, essay for a much more holistic way of thinking about uh, contemporary Māori art, which is related to the creation narrative. But when I started having to articulate in detail that the artists and their moments and what they achieved, I had to resort back to a chronology, a Western chronology of time to articulate it. So it was sort of ironic in a way that um, to be able to point to something and to articulate it, I still had to navigate the mechanisms of how that history had presented itself. Um, but nonetheless, I think people could see, you know, the, the way in which the creation story is used as a way to proposition ways to think about and think differently about um, contemporary Māori art and New Zealand art practices. So for me, the book um, wasn't too hard and I, um, we had a few different iterations of interpretation for it, um, whereby we had a couple of other voices, we had invited a couple of other voices to contribute to it. And when we came to revisiting, um, pushing play on it uh, early last year, uh, it, it, it just so turned out that my essay um, ended up covering that entire, that entire space, um, which was a mission to write. I had started it before I left the gallery, and I was sort of like, oh my gosh. When they said we're gonna continue with the book, I was like, oh no, I have to finish that writing. Um, which is good and bad, but it ended up being 18,000 words and it was a real um, uh, mission to, to just get out of my head and onto paper, um, but a really worthwhile one. And you know, as part of revisiting, presenting the book, um, I had always asked Moana Jackson if he would um, kindly make an offer to the publication. And when I talked to Moana, um, I was asking him I was really wanting him to foreground um, Māori knowledge and the way in which it is distinctly different to Western ways of thinking and philosophy. And um, I had no idea when he presented his piece that he would poetically take us through um, a same narrative journey, but of course underline all of these amazing um, moments in talking about uh, the Māori intellectual tradition is how he terms it and I really loved the way he phrased that and I decided that I would continue that uh, way of framing Māori knowledge uh, as the Māori intellectual tradition in my essay. Um, but uh, just, you know, very grateful. He was, he was not well at the time, um, but he was, as many of you may know, he was still juggling a lot of commitments and happily um, committing to those things that were meaningful to him and completing this was one of those. And, um, you know, we have his words in the book forever to, to reference and to remind us of the power of the Māori intellectual tradition but also the power of our narratives and what a Māori-centred voice, um, how it might resonate. Um, 
And Tardity Tidal also offers an amazing chronology in the book, which helps um, illuminate the Māori art history, if you like, and the different moments and movements that are so important. And if you think about Māori publications, um, there are very few to reference or to, to, to use as a resource. And Deirdre and I know this firsthand because uh, in, in Māori art education, you're often looking and trying to, re to reference those ideas, but there you have to find them firsthand or, you know, it's um, generated in the field through first-person conversation and interviews, so it's rare. And so for me, if the book could do anything, it needed to generously tell us what that story was and the chronology is part of that generosity, but also um, that teaching tool, that resource that people can actually look, see dates, see people, understand its context, uh, without necessarily having a Māori art teacher in the classroom to tell you. It's great if you do have one, but there will be a lot of students that don't. And so the book needs to be uh, a companion to your journey in wanting to understand your own um, Māori visual art history. Yeah. You talked about the profound nature of Moana Jackson's essay and um, the incredible usefulness of the chronology that Tarati Tairoa put together. But I just wanted to note that your own chapter in the book is one of the finest accounts of contemporary Māori art movement that I've ever read, Nigel. And I know from my own work that this kind of writing is a very big undertaking. Can you tell us about a key discovery or pivotal moment identified in your research that made you change your thinking about contemporary Māori art? Sure, thank you. Um, it's really, I'm so chuffed to hear that, you know, it's just, when you're writing something like that, you're like, oh my God, just can't wait for this to get done. Um, and I hope it's making sense. And so um, I'm, I'm really wrapped that it did and it does. Um, one of the revelations for me when I was doing the writing and examining, I think you do a lot of examining when you look at art history. And um, you know, the thing about art history is that it's told from the dominant culture lens often. So what I find I'm doing is unpacking what's being said and trying to see it. Uh, it's, it's like forensic work. Okay, does that make sense? Does that add up to this? And, um, or sometimes it's like, oh, that blatantly does not make sense, or that does not actually, that is not accurate to how I heard so-and-so tell me firsthand that that happened. So uh, I find, you know, writing this piece of um, art history, this, 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 this story is also about correcting and rebalancing and recalibrating some of that stuff. And one of the things that really hit home to me was thinking about the mighty modernists that they have been termed over time. And we're talking about the artists that came through art school in the 1950s or that first wave of what we now call contemporary Māori artists, um, Pada Matchett, Fred Graham, uh, Arnold Manaki Wilson, Pauline Yebri, um, Katarina Mataida. Uh, these people were part of that first wave, Fred Graham, oh, sorry, Ralph Hortere. It's really dangerous when you start naming names because they'll be like, oh, you didn't say so-and-so, but you know who I'm talking about. And anyway, um, when I started looking at their contribution and started analysing uh, what they were doing and some of the ideas that they were presenting, um, you know, often they're called the mighty modernists, but I feel like it's a very lopsided and it's 
very heavily weighted in this interpretation of modernism being present in their work. Now, it's most definitely present in their work and in their experience of art training at the time. But if you look at the titles of their works, if you look at the, the content of what their works are looking at, they're very mighty ideas. Fred Graham's looking at He Tangata, uh, sorry, Arnold Manaki Wilson's looking at He Tangata, He Tangata in his early sculptural work from 1956. Probably one of the first contemporary Māori art sculptural works to be crea created. Um, and he's looking at the importance of people using a very well-known Māori proverb. And to me, modernism isn't necessarily, I know it's visible in his training and it's visible in the work, but you know the content of what he's looking at needs to be equally weighted. So I feel that for me as a Māori person, when I started looking at the content of their work, it started to rebalance this very overly uh, presented notion that they were just merely Māori modernists. To me, they were, they were contemporary Māori artists who were influenced by the training that they were given at the time. They didn't have a choice in what they were taught or what they were influenced by. That was the popular training of the time. So it stands to reason that they're going to be their, their art making is going to be informed by that particular thing. And it's not that it's a bad thing, but I just feel like the, the, the overlap and the intersect of what they're doing isn't uh, often examined in a balanced way. So for me, um, even in my own mind, when I was writing that section of the book, it was a beautiful way of recalibrating this top-heavy idea that they were just mighty modernists. They were actually contemporary mighty artists who were conscientiously breaking away from the traditionally carved forms that were still existent in the 1950s. Um, if you think about the importance of Penetaiapa and Honetaiapa and the, the and um, Seaperanga Nata uh, with the revival of Māori carving through um, Lirotrua um, Arts and Craft Carving School, that had a real prevalent pull in terms of this presentation of what Māori art looked like. And they were very conscientiously pushing away from that and finding new ways to articulate and to present their ideas. And so to me that was quite fascinating to think that, um, you know, that we've gotten hung up on the push away and the Māori modernism part as opposed to their just being Māori in the 1950s, presenting their ideas through the, the cultural um, landscape and contemporary landscape that was existing at the time. Uh, what's been written or how these artists have been written about before and how you wanted to write about them. Do you think that the framing of those artists in that way in terms of the Eurocentric, uh, Eurocentric view of their work, is that, is that a hangover from art history or is it to do with the way we write? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Um, I think it's a bit of both of those things because when we think about the way we write, uh, often it's been informed by the same Western art training. And, you know, that art training privileges certain ways of thinking about fine art, certain ways of um, privileging what fine art is and what good art is. And um, those, those have informed and shaped our own ways of navigating that conversation. And I feel that that's definitely part of um, what we're unpacking and what we're recalibrating and, and um, 
you know, the creation story is a very strategic way of speaking back to that. Because, you know, one of the things that um, can be quite annoying is the way in which the art canon thinks that that's the centre. And um, when we use the mighty creation story, it tells us, well, no, that this is the centre over here, and you're part of that, or, the, you know, if we talk about the mighty modernists or those artists of that era, you're part of this, not us part of that. So that's the real paradigm shift that um, exists not just in the way we can think about art, but the way we write about it, by, by the way we um, privilege uh, the conversation around it. To me, um, those are all very strategic and conscientious moves that uh, uh, exist in the show and in the book. But really, I'm just putting a, shine a light on something that's already there and saying that the power, the emphasis, the knowledge, the importance of it um, is better understood sitting in its own context and centered in, in its own space. So to me, um, that's all part of how we interpret and understand it. And thinking about those big messages that the exhibition in particular and the book have presented to a wider audience, might I ask, since art is visual, exhibitions are experiential, what is the purpose of writing books about indigenous art and does it have any impact on our culture apart from documenting it? Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think just leading off on the last, the last statement, it really is about uh, repositioning what they might represent and um, having a richer, richer conversation and um, a, a conversation that has more depth and more meaning when it's actually centred in the very culture and the knowledge that, um, has, has, that it's been created from or that it's speaking to. Um, and, you know, it's no coincidence that it's had such a, um, a profound uh, effect on us all. Um, and it's, 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 yeah, you could say it's a show, but it's actually the knowledge that sits in those ways of knowing and thinking that people are connecting with and that they're having that experience with. So for me, um, the very idea that um, centering our knowledge and our ways of knowing as, um, as, as important, as uh, valid, as um, contradictory, as profound, uh, as central uh, is, is what the, the thinking and, and the approaches are trying to achieve. But again, it's also speaking back to, to the idea that um, we can understand art histories a lot differently when we're allowed to be part of the conversation of what they represent. Um, and I know, I, I'm, you know, I know what that means for Māori, and I know what that means for me as a Māori artist and a Māori arts advocate and curator and writer, but I've been really um, uh, fascinated to witness and to experience what it means for non-Māori through this pro process and the way in which um, I've had people say that, you know, I went to that show and I cried. Uh, I've had people stop me in the street, Pākehā people stop me in the street and tell me their experience of the show and they're not telling me, they're, they're telling me because they feel compelled to share this moving experience they've had. So that tells me there is something in the way in which we're framed um, 
and, and centralise Māori knowledge as, as the pivotal story here that needs to be understood for us as New Zealanders um, and for us to take on board what that repositioning might represent. Um, I don't think no one loses anything in that. If anything, it gets richer. And that's been a real revelation to sort of to see and to, to, to experience from people that are not Māori with the book and the show. That leads nicely to my next part, I. Indigenous art and Indigenous scholarship have been hot topics in print, digital and social media recently, and your own departure from Auckland Art Gallery was a moment for reflection on the challenges of partnership and cultural authority in Western-based institutions and knowledge systems. What is the role of books such as Toy Tu Toy Order in the decolonisation of these spaces, Nigel? Oh, geez, that's a well, nice, easy afternoon question. <laughs> the floor is yours. Yeah, um, I feel, I feel, um, look, one of the things that's really tricky in that question that sort of reminds me is the weight um, that you sort of have to bear and carry as someone who's um, been invested in trying to to, to do that very work um, as a curator, as a writer, as an arts advocate. Um, you know, in a way, firstly, you've got to see the path and then you've got to try and walk the path. And um, to me, that's part of the work of what we're trying to achieve here. Um, and um, the path is just not about talking about art history. It's not just talking about Māori art history or Māori art. It's actually about how those ideas get to resonate or not in our institutions, in our lives, and the dynamics and the power plays that are at action or at play at any given time and how those opportunities might manifest and be. So um, while this is about art, it's actually about the power of presenting and centering an idea and a knowledge and um, saying that this is, this, is, this is the conversation and this is what I want to talk about and this is what's central and this is what is important. And um, that exists both for the show, the book, but it also exists for our institutions and our conversations as a bicultural country around how we think about that very proposition. So, you know, knowledge and the sharing of power um, can have great outcomes. These, this is part of that. But they, they are by no means achieved just because you do a show or a book. So um, they're much larger than that. And um, they're much more important than that. But if anything, this book and show, they present to us that they're worth doing and that um, we all win. So I think that's a roundabout way of addressing it without talking about leaving the art gallery. <laughs> Moving on, then. <laughs> You've all read that anyway, surely. If you haven't, then, you know, you I can find I, it on the internet. I don't think my next question's any easier, I must <laughs> say, Nigel, but um, can you define contemporary Māori art for us? And what does it include, not include, and why? And do you think these boundaries ever change, and if so, why? And I can come back to some of those questions, but can you define contemporary Māori art for us? Oh, I love it. I did. Deirdre's so kind, she shared with me a draft of her questions, and this was on the other page of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, and I just put it down again. But here it is. Um, yeah, I feel, um, when I think about contemporary Māori art, 
um, and what it is and what it isn't, um, I'm reminded that it's, you know, anything that's happening in, in art is symptomatic of what's happening in the culture. So the art is just an outcome of Māori people talking about what being Māori means at any given time. The means in which they do it, the mediums through which they do it, um, are not irrelevant, but they're secondary to the message and putting themselves in that space of articulating their story. So I feel like um, it's a nice way to, to um, disarm the whole what is Māori art conversation as well, because um, the real focus should be on um, not, as not what is Māori art, but um, what is the condition of Māori art, and who uh, is doing what in terms of that story, and how are they manifesting what is important to them. So for me, Māori art is just symptomatic of Māori culture and Māori people, and um, it is the outcome of their thinking as Māori people, and it's presented in a space. Māori art, if anything, is defined by being Māori, so I think you have to be Māori to be practising Māori art. Yep, you know, I know what you're thinking, but um, to me, that has to be the line in the sand, and um, there are beautiful contradictions to that, but there are contradictions to everything, by the way. But um, Māori art and Māori culture, Māori knowledge, is a Māori pursuit and exists within Māori culture. And uh, it's, it's an inheritance of Māori people, but it's also, more importantly, it's activated, it's added to, it's extended by Māori, and it's authored by Māori. So the authorship of that is really important. Um, and, you know, look, I think when it comes to art and what is Māori art and what isn't, um, to me, uh, it's, it's those, I find those are really, those are commentaries about quality and style and about um, aesthetic value. Uh, often those are what they end up becoming. And um, we all know that that's a long piece of string and a very subjective conversation in its own right. So um, the taste of what is good Māori art or what isn't Māori art, to me the, the qualifier is being Māori and it's symptomatic of Māori culture. So in a sense you're saying that Māori art is any art made by someone of Māori descent. You'll be aware, as I am, that there are some within our own community who've questioned this further. O obviously, in, in history, we see this around the time of the Māori modernists, and you've, you've mm. queried the use of that term, which was fantastic. And more recently, um, there has been discussion about work that is made under tikanga conditions, or work that might not have the heart or ngāko of, of Māori behind it, that there might be a differentiation even between Māori artists, that, that mm. this definition of whakapapa doesn't begin and end at all. And, um, you know, it's, it's useful for art historians to look at what people of Māori descent are, are doing through art forms, but the definition of Māori art itself, what, what would you say to, to people who, who say um, Māori art needs to have a tikanga basis? Uh, you've obviously ascribed some of that with, with mm. your exhibition, but the work hasn't necessarily always been made on that basis. What would mm. you say to that, Nigel? Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, would, I would have an open conversation about what tikanga might represent. I feel 
you know, a lot of the times when we talk about these, these ideas, um, they are very absolute, and, you know, that's part of colonisation, is that they have to mean just one thing. And, you know, one thing early on about um, Toy 2 and using the creation story was that a colleague of mine quite diplomatically said to me, well, you know, that's just one idea of iteration of the creation story. You know, here in Te Waipaunamu, um, we've got a very different story about the creation story. And um, it was a beautiful reminder that being Māori can mean a range of different things. It doesn't have to mean just one thing. And sometimes um, advocating for something is a means to an end, to push a story onwards, to open up space, to allow us to have this conversation in a much more broader sense, with a much more um, open agenda. Um, and within that, there are interior conversations and exterior conversations. And some of the interior conversations are for Māori to think through and to um, deliberate and to interrogate. And then, to me, some of the exterior conversations are for our wider publics to, to have uh, a voice and participate in. But um, I think it's really healthy to think that there are multiple ways to think about that as opposed to one, um, because just like being Māori, there's, there's more than one uh, interpretation of what that might represent and how it might manifest. The creation story in Te Waipanamu and, and in the North Island is a really good example. They're very different. And um, it's, it's, it's a nice reminder that you know, being Māori isn't, doesn't singularly mean one thing. So would you say toy to the book is that an internal conversation for Māori or the external, as, as you've described it, or a combination of both? Yeah, good question. Where to go, Deirdre? Um, I, feel, I feel in a nutshell that's how I navigate writing from a Māori voice. Um, curating from a Māori voice is that my first voice, my first conversation is like I'm talking to my family members. Um, about what this work represents and why it's important. And my priority is that they get what I'm talking about. And I'm talking about my Māori, my Māori community at large. They need to be able to understand their own connection to these ideas. And my job is to make sure that they're available to them. Um, and then, of course, outside of that, I've got to talk to the art world at large. And they're probably the next cab off the rank. And so I am often articulating what that is, where it fits, and offering them entry points in where they feel comfortable enough to understand it. So um, I feel like we, we, do, um, we do multiple interpretations, if you like, and um, it's just a given. It's a given in terms of the nature and the landscape that we have to navigate um, multiple voices, at least two, and write from at least two. And so the book itself, too, is, 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 is a similar intent, whereby I'm articulating a Māori worldview, a Māori story, I'm talking to a Māori audience, and then um, I'm making sure that everyone is able to enter it and access it. I feel if there's anything that's um, worth doing, it has to be articulated in a way that it's accessible and accessible to um, as many people as possible. And to me, that's, you know, that's the art of storytelling, of narrative, of oratory. It's about how you communicate ideas. 
and for Māori, we're very, we have a long history and a, a great heritage in that. And I feel like it's the same, it's the same proposition around um, skillfully talking to multiple people at the one time. If you think about some of our most amazing kasari Māori art and contemporary Māori artists, they're doing that already in their work. They're often speaking to two audiences. There is the, the, the layer uh, at the front where any person can connect dots and understand it. And then to me, there's the layer at the back, which if you delve deeper, you'll have a deeper understanding of those concepts and ideas that sit, sit behind there. So yeah, multiple voices is, and ways of interpreting is just um, something that we do. And the book is a really generous contribution to those discussions and um, it's, it's a book that's going to stand the test of time. It's, it's such a magnificent achievement. Thank you so yeah. much for this, Nigel. Um, we do have about 13 minutes left and I was wondering if, if anyone would like to ask any questions from the floor. My understanding is that there are some standing microphones that might be that you can come up to and ask any questions that you might have for Nigel. Or Deirdre. Or Nigel. <laughs> oh, kia ora. Yeah. Kia ora koroa. Kia ora. Nā mihi nui ki koe, Nigel. Thank you for your mahi and for that amazing exhibition and I'm dying to see the book. My question um, relates to your commentary about the continuum of Māori art and I'm wondering where, if anywhere, um, you see the impact and effect from the Te Māori exhibition of the 1980s. Not only um, its tour of America, but Te Hokingamai, the tour back, back in New Zealand. Mm. Cool. Well, when you read the book, you will see where it sits in the story. <laughs> <laughs> but um, to speak to that, yeah, um, it's... I mean, the thing about writing the book is, is you see it all in context. And I think, you know, Deidre will understand this too, having just finished um, writing the, the large Toitimana publication. And um, when you see it in context, you see all its connections and you see how um, one has impacted the other in a positive way, but not, not always illuminated and, and told to us until we start to dive into it or until someone presents it in a, in a way that it can be um, disseminated widely, i.e. through a book. So um, Tamari, of course, was extremely important in terms of, um, ironically enough, um, taking uh, amazing Tonga Māori offshore, um, but that was the moment that New Zealanders actually understood that Māori art was an important movement. Um, so, you know, it does so much heavy lifting. Um, it, it, it was a moment where um, the institutions in America got to see that Māori was a living culture, that these, these artefacts that sit in their own institutions, whether it's from the, the, the tangata whenua of those lands, have a living connection to people. And the kaumata and the leaders that went with those taonga when they went overseas, they showed that through their actions and through their cultural practices that it's actually a living culture. Um, so that had such an amazing ripple effect when it came home um, because the other thing that it brought, brought about was, well, who's talking about our tonga and our institutions? Well, that's right, nobody. 
So there was a huge wave of supporting Māori curatorship and Māori to speak to their own tonga and to their own stories in a way that wasn't present prior. So, you know, it's a gender setting in that way. And if you think about the wave of young Māori Pacifica curators that came through in the early 90s, I'm talking about Megan Tamitikwanao, Arapata Hakiwai, um, Afina Tamarapa, Fuli Pereira, uh, Sean Mallon. Uh, these people were all part of that moment that Te Māori had presented back here in our institutions. So um, it's a long piece of string, but um, there is no doubt that Te Māori has been uh, the forerunner to what we want, wanting to illuminate with the book and the show. And I remember sitting with Hairua, um our Māori Advisory Board, when we were forming um, and, and going through just the stages of creating Toy 2, Toy Order. And Elizabeth Ellis, our amazing chairperson, would say, well, <laughs> boldly, well, we are doing the contemporary to Māori. And it was a, a gender-setting way of everybody understanding the ambition of the show and the ambition of what we were trying to achieve. Um, scary for me hearing that, but um, at the same time, that's, that's the power of what Tamari did. It presented ourselves back to ourselves and back to wider New Zealand. And it was a gender setting in that way. Kia ora, thank you. Kia ora. Hi, as a second generation Pākehā person who went to the show more than once and has got the book, uh, thank, thank you, it increased my understanding in, in that multi-dimensional, uh, it, it did make sense. Two-part question, one, was there much collaboration with the artists on where the artworks were going to be positioned in this pathway? And second, was there any feedback after the event from the artists going, oh, I didn't know you were going to do this with my artwork? Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting when you're a curator, um, because you know you have these ideas and you these thoughts. Oh, I think this is how I'm thinking about this work, um, and there's a there's an element of due diligence you got to do in that, and that's asking running it past them, especially if you're putting them in uh, ways that you and um, you, you you know that they sort of resonate, but you're not sure if that's gonna how they're gonna sit with it. So I did. I did actually sit with um, many of those artists where I was using signature works um, in a way that was uh, presenting the idea. So um, <laughs> sometimes when I was sitting with some of those artists, um, they have very good poker faces, I must say, and they don't give much away. <laughs> so you're never totally sure. It's like you're aligned on them telling you, it's just, oh, that's totally inappropriate, but that never happened. Um, because I'm a good curator, actually. Um, but yeah, this is part of what you do when you're a good curator, is that you're going you're gonna to run those idea ideas past them and make sure that they do make sense and that they're okay, okay with it. Um, but you, you have to also be okay with them saying they're not and uh, coming up with another, devising another idea and another way of thinking through. But, um, you know, luckily for me, that wasn't the case. And... Uh, vice versa, no one afterwards came back and said, you must take my work down, uh, or, you know, any of that type of drama. Um, I think it's a measure of um, making the, the way in which you interact with your artists to make sure that they're comfortable with, with what's going on with the project. Um, maybe that's the last question. 
Um, kia ora, Nigel. So it's amazing listening to you talk about the exhibition. And my question is about its impact on rangitahi Māori. So I noticed spending a bit of time in the show, I think I went a few times as well, how many big groups of rangitahi Māori and I guess specifically young people as well were through there. And I wondered what your experience had been of connecting with them over the exhibition and, and how you think that might filter through into young Māori artists. Yeah, um, you know, there's lots, to be, lots of things to be proud about with the show and, and the way in which it's been uh, embraced. And um, our rangatahi, you know, we, we, some of that was not done by coincidence. There was a lot of planning and thinking through how to make the show accessible, how to uh, engage with, um, with Māori, um, kura kaupapa Māori, and um, with our Māori and Pacifica, audiences that um, historically have not fared well in the stats um, at the Auckland Art Gallery. And so that was a real goal and a real focus for us. Um, so there were things that we wrapped around that experience to make sure that that was um, going to be something that they could access. But you know, the other thing is, this is the other thing, it's like you can do all of that planning, but um, the real goal is if you're going to do shows that are going to speak to people, they will come. So it's no coincidence that if you present an exhibition um, that's speaking to them and to their culture, that they're going to come to your institution and see it. So what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? Are we not presenting those shows to those people? How come we have such a proliferation of people? You know, we break all the attendance records. We have our largest um, visitation from a Māori audience with that exhibition. Um, to me, it's a sad indictment in, in what we're not doing. So. That's the real thing we want to think about with that, is what are we not doing and how could we do it better? And the irony is when you show our stories, we will come. So let's just sit with that for a little bit. That's a very good point. Kia ora, that's, that's an excellent point. To finish on, if anyone has any more pātai or wants to talk to Nigel after the session, please approach him at the signing table where copies of the book will also be available for sale. But I just want to take this opportunity, Nigel, on behalf of all of us today, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, this journey that you are on with both the exhibition and the book. I've learned so much from this. Thank you so much. Please join me in thanking Nigel. Tanakwe. You've been listening to a podcast from the 2022 Auckland Writers' Festival Waituhi o Tamaki. You can find a range of other festival talks, interviews and discussions on iTunes, SoundCloud and on our website, writersfestival.co.nz.